All right. Well, good morning. That was harder than I wanted it to be. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. It's good to see you. Thank you for joining us here in person and online. Thank you for tuning in live now and watching later and those who will be listening to the podcast later. Grateful to have uh, everyone there uh, with us. Well, um, it is almost without fail. If you ever run into a small child, there's a game that will play, you can play with them that almost always elicits a smile or a giggle, depending upon their age. And it's a simple game, you know it, of, of peekaboo. And as an adult or as a young adult, you, you understand that if you, your face disappears, it's almost as if in the mind of that child, you cease to exist. And then all of a sudden, voila, you come back. It's amazing because once a kid stops experiencing you with their eyes, it's as, it's as if you don't exist anymore, which is kind of fun until it comes to parenting around harder issues like, I don't know, brushing your teeth, putting the lid down on the potty, or potty training in general. Because if I don't experience it, then often it doesn't exist. So children, children do this, children tie experience, existence to experience. In other words, until I get a cavity, I'm not convinced that I need to brush my teeth as much as mom and dad say I do. Until I experience the social shame of going to the bathroom in my pants, I'm not going to believe that it's important that I learn to go on the potty. And so parents often, regularly, anyone who's been a parent know that over and over and over again, you have to say some of the most mundane things to your children because of this principle. That children, in the minds of children, they will tie, they just simply will tie existence to experience. If I haven't experienced it, it doesn't necessarily exist. And this is true for simple things like cavities and germs and potties, but it's also true for deeper ideological ideas, such as breaking a relationship with someone. It's true for ideas, not just principles, or not just things in front of me. When we become adults, adults recognize that existence isn't tied to experience. That's just the way adults work, right? Adults know that you don't have to experience embezzlement to know that it exists. Adults know you don't have to experience a broken marriage to know that such a thing exists. Adults are able to say there are things that exist that I don't have to experience. I may never experience, but actually truly do exist. They can look beyond their own experience with it. And one of those things that adults are able to understand exists, even though they may never experience it, is this idea of racism. It's the idea that there are people who are judged and treated in a very different way because, in many ways, simply because of the color of their skin or where they've come from. Now, we don't always do well with this principle. We don't always do well with this principle. And the COVID season is, is a, a great test model for that. But in general terms, this is true for adults. This is adult thinking. Adults can understand Things can exist that I don't experience. Now, let me take this further with you. Adults who are continuing to grow understand this. Adults also recognize that their existence should improve others' experiences. That my life should improve yours in some way. That I don't live just to exist for myself, but that your experience should be better because I am here. If you're a Christian, this idea comes from the hand of a loving Heavenly Father. 
If you're not a Christian, I believe many of you still believe this to be true, that you find your greatest fulfillment not in meeting your own needs, but in serving and meeting the needs of the people around you. We can talk about where that comes from, but fundamentally, we find the greatest satisfaction not in receiving, but in giving, in making our existence improve other people's experiences. And so this morning, in this series called Deeply Undivided, I want to take a broad look at this issue of racism and racial reconciliation in the church. Because the church, of all places, should be deeply undivided about people's experiences and their, the existence of racism, even if, even if you or I haven't experienced something that our brothers and sisters in Christ have. And so I would like to take the time that we have in front of us to dialogue about this issue of racism. Now, it was May 25th of 2020. Some of you know that date and some do not, but it was on May 25th of 2020 when George Floyd was killed. That changed our world, not just our country, but it's changed our world. The names have come following that, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, just a few of the names upon many, upon many, upon many of black lives whom we should have known and understood and cared for. Now again, the temptation, if you've never experienced life through the lens of our black brothers and sisters, the, the temptation is to diminish the existence of the pain that they feel because I haven't experienced it. But adults understand experience isn't tied to existence. Children don't understand that, but adults do. And so this morning, I want to have a frank, non-political conversation about racism and, and racial reconciliation. I'm going to talk as clearly as I can, as directly as I can, as lovingly as I can, and as hopefully as helpful as I can. So I want to talk about a couple things that we need to talk about when it comes to this issue of racism. Three things to start. Number one, I want to talk about parenting for a minute. Um, white parents, I want to ask the question, have you ever had to talk to your son about things like this, keeping his hands out of his pockets when he goes into the convenience store. You ever had that conversation with your son? Have you talked to your son about when to put his hood down on his sweatshirt and make sure that he's not out at night doing that? John Blake wrote this in an article about what goes on in the public unconscious behavior of black men in particular. He says, this is what goes on in, in our minds. He said, never walk up too closely behind a white person in public cross the street if you're approaching a white person at night so that they won't have to. And if you're in a corporate workplace, never ever get angry or raise your voice. All right, makes sense. I will tell you, as a white parent, I have never had that conversation with my son. Not about those things. My experience is very different than that of John Blake and many of our black brothers and sisters, particularly in America. I wanted to share the story of Bishop T.D. Jakes. I want you to listen to his story through the lens of a parent. I want you to hear the heart of a father. I heard T.D. Jakes talk about this story about his son being in a traffic accident. And as I heard him talk a couple months ago at an online conference called Thrive Conference, he's being interviewed here by a pastor. And so the video begins with you seeing the white pastor, and then in a minute you'll see T.D. Jakes speaking. I want you to listen to his experience just as a dad, as a person. And then we'll talk about it right on the backside. 
try that again. hear the heart of the father <laughs> I haven't had that kind of conversation with my kids when they're in a traffic accident I don't begin even to think like that he finished that with saying something about the criminal justice system and I want to talk about that too for a second I'm not being political but I'm being frank and honest in a conversation that our black brothers and sisters interact with and experience the criminal justice system in a different way than those of us who are white and don't have that experience. And that's what he just laid out. When we hear, and so here's what that means, when we hear things, especially now, when we hear things like this, defund the police. I'm not being political. Please don't send me an email about politics around defund the police. I'm not suggesting you do or don't. I'm not having a policy position on that. I'm simply saying this. White people will by and large think by default, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. We just want to become a lawless nation with absolute chaos. People want to do whatever they want, blah, 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 because our assumption is that when the police show up, they're fair and just and right, because that's how many of us have experienced them. But there exists a different reality that our brother T.D. Jakes just talked about. And so when I hear things like defund the police, I know there's policy conversation around that. I'm safe, push that to the side for a minute. I'm talking about the human reality of listening to our brothers and sisters of why would anyone even suggest this idea? 
What is going on underneath that some would want a deeper social change so that we don't even need to get to the police in the first place? That underneath this is a cry for equity, a cry for hope. Not everyone is there, sure. But we have to acknowledge not just that parenting is different as a white person than a black person, but also our experience and interaction with the criminal justice system is also very different. Third thing that is different, there's many things, but third thing is this reality. That there is, and we need to, again, just be frank about this, there is a fear of black men in our culture. It's just what we need to talk about. We need to talk about that fear. And I don't want to put it in my own words, but John Blake, he actually wrote an article called, There's One Epidemic We May Never Find a Vaccine For, Fear of Black Men in Public Spaces. And here's what Blake had to say about that. He said this, The stereotype of the dangerous black man is burrowed so deep in our collective imagination that even many black Americans see black men as automatic threats. Consider this famous statement. There is nothing more painful to me than to walk down the street and hear footsteps and start thinking about robbery and then look around and see someone white and feel relieved. That quote came from the Reverend Jesse Jackson, one of the nation's most prominent civil rights leaders, when he spoke in 1993 about crime in the black community. Jesse Jackson, a black man. Jesse Jackson admitting... (laughs) that this is a deep-seated piece of our conscience. If we're going to get honest around racial reconciliation, we have to be able to be honest about the issues that plague even our own hearts deep down inside that are uncomfortable to talk about. When you parent a white child in North America, it is different than parenting a black child. When you experience the criminal justice system as a white person, it is different than as a black person. There is a fear of black men that doesn't exist around white men. That is just part of the conversation. And I want to raise that and be frank about it. I'm not trying to be political about it at all. I'm trying to be human about it. Let's just talk about this. Now, up until this point, you don't even have to be a Christian to hear what I'm saying and to say there may be some truth to that. There may be something I can learn. There may be a way to talk with my neighbors and friends about this. There may be something that I can do. But if you're a Christian, it goes further now. And now if you're a Christian, here's where I want to take you just a step further about what does it mean and what does it look like for the people and the body of Christ to begin to engage our society, our world in which these truths exist as one body. And so I'm going to take you to, and you can turn if you want, but I'm going to throw it up on the screen, move through it fairly quickly. But I'm going to go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a It's a section in our Bible in what we call the New Testament where Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, um, he wrote to a young church in Corinth, and frankly all churches that he wrote to were young anyway, and he was trying to, to help them know how do I interact with and how do we work together as people who come from all kinds of um, backgrounds, different racial backgrounds, different ideological backgrounds, different theological backgrounds. And so he wrote there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said this, but God, he starts this way, God has put the body together. God has put the body together. It's almost as if you can picture God as the creator, the one, the master maker of all, and saying about the body, the body of Christ, which now we take to understand to be the church. This is the, when I say the church, I don't just mean Grace Point Church or a church down the road or anything. I'm talking about the the invisible, universal body of Christ that God has put together 
all the people of God who will call themselves Christian, all of the people across demographics, across countries, nations, across millennia, he's put together. God is the creator of it all, has formed this. So God has put the body together. Why? So that, he goes on, so that there should be no division in the body. So ultimately he's saying, listen, God is the one who's made this. Do you think, do you think that he would put together a body in which he's okay with a racial division sticking out this way and not quite fitting into the body? Do you think he's okay with a racial division sticking out that way? Or any division of a significant nature. Like God has created this body and he hasn't made a mistake in the way that he has formed this space, that he has put together this body so there should be no division in the body. But that its parts, he goes on, that its parts should have equal concern for each other. This is so important, that each of its parts would have equal concern for each other, even if, listen, even if they don't experience what other parts of the body experience. Even if, as a white male, you never have to tell your white sons, be careful what you do with your hands in the convenience store. Even if you never have to mentor and disciple your children and say, don't express rage or anger in a corporate environment. Make sure you cross the street before you see a black person because they're afraid of white men. These are experiences that, as a white person, we generally do not have that our black brothers and sisters do as one body, Paul appeals to concern, equal concern for each other. He goes on to say this, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That the body is put together in a kind of symbiotic way where as white men and black men and all kinds of people, but particularly this morning, the conversation is around this racial reconciliation piece, that when one part suffers, we all suffer with it. We suffer with it. We feel and resonate and care for those people who have experiences that do not match ours, who can create a world sometimes when we can question, come on, is it really that bad? Aren't you just making it up? They're just playing the victim. This isn't what God designed the body of Christ to be, not that part of it. He designed it to understand, to care, to love, to, to suffer one with another, which is what we looked at last week as well in Galatians. Paul writes there, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. That this mutual idea that you have a burden, I'm going to carry it with you, is so important in particularly in the racial conversation. Now, the problem comes, the problem comes by and large, not that we don't have enough information about racial reconciliation or race struggles, but the problem often comes in that we don't know what to do with it. We just don't know where to go with it. I had the chance to sit around a Zoom call for the past couple um, weeks with local pastors in the area. And you should know that we have probably seven or eight different churches right now live in discussion around what does race re reconciliation look like? Is it a gospel issue for our community? The resounding answer is yes. We should do something about this. To which then we stop and say we have no idea what to do. 
We don't know where to go. The problem isn't necessarily facts, as if we need more facts. The problem is lack of clarity and direction of where to go and how to act on the things that we know. And here's what, here's, so the question, the question ultimately is this, what can I do? What can I do and what can you do? Three things I want to suggest. Three things I want to suggest in what you can do. The first thing is this. I want to encourage you to admit racism exists. Now you may say, well, that's simple, no problem. I can see that you know exists, I can hear this, whatever. I want you to, to consider admitting at a deeper level, even within your own heart, that racism might exist even within me, maybe within you. I want to encourage you to consider looking in your heart and saying, what is going on in my heart? I want to encourage you to be careful with your language online right now. I want to encourage you to think about why would I post things? And I'm not being political, okay? Not being political here. Please don't email me about being political. Don't say right now things like all lives matter or blue lives matter or the unborn lives matter. Right now may be a time for you to affirm black lives matter. I'm not being political. I'm not making a statement about a movement or an organization. I'm talking about humans. I'm not being political. Why would I ask you to consider that? I'm not asking you to post that on your social media. I'm asking you not to post things that are inconsiderate or thoughtless about the movement. Simply think about it this way. If you're a parent and one of your children is outside playing and they fall down and scrape their knee and you've got a couple kids, you've got a few kids, you go down and you scoop them up and you put them in your arms and you say, you know what, I love you because all my kids matter to me. No, right now, you matter to me because you are hurt. Right now, you matter. I need to verbalize that. You matter, honey. You matter. Yes, all my kids matter. I want to affirm that. The lives of the unborn matter. All people matter. Absolutely. But when one part of the body suffers, all suffer with it. Verbalizing that those who are most in pain right now are in pain is a helpful and healthy reconciling act for Christians to engage in. It just simply is. I also want to encourage you to consider this, not only that racism exists individually, but also consider, if racism does exist personally, is it not at least possible that systemic racism is a real thing? You may say, well, I've never experienced that. I can appreciate that. But again, adults don't have to experience everything for those things to exist. Those who have been in power, in legislative power, by and large, have been white not black, on the whole. Is it possible that those who have been in power have created systems, knowingly or unknowingly, that have supported some of the racism that exists within all of our hearts? Is it possible that there is something to the systemic racism that I shouldn't push away too quickly? And that's what I'm pressing into. I want you to admit, admit that racism exists. And it's a difficult conversation. I'm not being political. I'm being human here. Okay. Secondly, this, I want to be clear on reconciliation's aim. Tony Evans has really helped me in this space. When we talk about racial reconciliation, we're not, we're not talking about reconciliation and tolerance being synonymous. Reconciliation and tolerance are two different things. If you're upset with me about something, and I can't imagine anyone would ever be upset with me about anything, 
If you're upset with me, and let's say I'm upset with you over an argument that we've had, we might be able to tolerate each other without truly reconciling. You might be able to live in the same space with me and be okay with that. Maybe even come to the same church as me and be okay with that, but we haven't necessarily reconciled. We've just tolerated. And so you might say, well, I'm not a racist. I don't mind who lives in my neighborhood. I don't mind who goes to my school. I don't mind whatever. But what we're actually saying is I'm living functionally as someone who's tolerating people. I'm tolerating. I don't have anything against anyone who's black or white. I don't have anything against anybody. But there's a difference between tolerance and reconciliation. Reconciliation pushes further than tolerance. It isn't enough right now just to be a tolerant person. This season right now requires us to be people who reconcile, aren't just tolerant, and passively allow people to live with one another. Reconciliation's aim is this. Reconciliation aims for restored relationships and selfless service to one another. Reconciliation pushes further than tolerance. Reconciliation pushes for a restoration of relationship and selfless service to one another. It isn't complicated, but it is a good push. In other words, reconciliation says, I want to know you by name. I want to know your story. I care about your story, your situation, and I want to hear it and know you. If you could have listened to the whole T.D. Jakes interview, when he was essentially asked the question, well, what would you recommend, Bishop Jakes? What would you recommend that people do? And he said very simply, get to know me by name. I'm not going to bite you. I'm cool. I'd be glad to talk to you. In other words, those who are living around us, who are in your workplace, who are part of your family units, who go to school with you, what are their names? What are their stories as people? A restoration of relationship, particularly if you call yourself a Christian, that God has put together a body with intended no division in it, that we can together function as the body of Christ in restoring a relationship that has been severed over time. That if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. So I want to encourage you to relate in person, by name, in real relationship, not just in a tolerance, with the people around you whom you know and who you have already some layer of relationship with. Getting to know people around us can be so helpful for reconciliation. And thirdly, I want to talk about this. I want to encourage you to talk to your family. Real simple. I want to encourage you to talk to your family. You talk to your family about um, COVID, about how we're going to respond. You know, we're going to wear masks, are we not? Where are we going to go to school? How are we going to react? What's it going to look like? We have family conversations around larger things that impact everybody. You talk to your kids if there's going to be a, a natural disaster that's coming in, if there's a major death in the family. We have conversations with our kids all the time. Talking about racism should be, for the Christian, no different right now. Having the conversation with your kids at the age level where they are and saying, guys, let's talk about this. Who's in school with you? What are you seeing on your social media feeds? Let's engage what you think the church is like right now. Do you think we're biased? Do you think we're prejudiced? What do you see? How are you reacting? And begin to engage them in conversation just like you would anything else. I want to encourage you to talk to your family. A long time ago, Solomon, one of the wisest people who ever walked the planet, the king of Israel, he took a walk, at least a walk in his mind, on this walk, here's what he wrote about his little walk. He said this, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. 
You kind of picture that. I like what he says there. There's this field. There's a vineyard. But he knew that the person who owned it had no sense. It's almost like they were acting like a child, even though they were an adult. It's almost as if they were not carrying out their adult responsibility. Because, he said, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. You've seen places like that. Man, that place went to pot, right? And then he stopped, and he said, I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. So he stops, and he's thinking, he sees this wall, this field, this vineyard. He realizes this, that a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. You see the progression there from deep sleep to slumber to, to folding, even just kind of taking it easy sometimes. Little sleep, little slumber, little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, if you're living in Lancaster County, you may take this to be a great hard work ethic proverb. Like, well, that's great. That's why we should get up at least by 4 a.m., get to work by 5, and work till 6 p.m., and do that for at least six days a week, making sure to honor the Lord's Day, and then everything will be just fine. Work harder, not smarter, and you'll be getting further along. Great. I don't think Solomon is talking just about economics. I don't think he is. I think he's saying that there are some issues that exist in our world. There are some things that go on around us that if we don't engage them, if we sleep on those issues, then poverty, scarcity will come on us. Parents, I want to talk to you for a minute especially. Can you imagine the next generation of kids coming alongside and the impact of the social climate right now around particularly racial reconciliation? Do you think, do you think that poverty will come on you like an armed man. In other words, the poverty not of economics, but the poverty of impact, the poverty of influence, the poverty of relationships. If we don't pick up these issues that are right in front of us right now and engage them and talk about it, a little rest on this one, a little sleep on this one, a little slumber on this one, and poverty will strip the church of its power. It will strip the Christian of its influence. It will strip you of a voice not to engage these issues, even these issues that you may not have ever personally experienced. And it may be like it's playing peekaboo with you, like you don't see it, therefore it's not there. But adults in the room know you don't have to experience everything in order for it to exist. Adults also know further that you want your existence to improve other people's experiences. And so I want to encourage you, adults in the room, particularly if you're a Christian, to listen to our black brothers and sisters, to admit racism exists, both at a personal and systemic level. To understand reconciliation's aim is greater than tolerance. It's about relationship and mutual service with one another. To talk to your families about this. And whatever you do, don't sleep on this issue. Don't sleep on this issue, lest the gospel, lest the church be stripped of its power and poverty come on you like an armed man. That the gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. That the church is one and united. That when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. I'm not making a political statement, a political stand whatsoever. I'm making a human statement. 
making a human appeal. Not just <laughs> this way, but a human appeal based on the relationship with a loving Heavenly Father who has made us and created us with incredible rich diversity to be one in the family of God. Now, what I want to do next week is I want to talk about our rich, diverse past and what it means for our shared, rich, diverse future together as people of faith. And so I will look forward to that conversation with you next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here this morning and to stop and process a little bit about this world that exists around us, to have a frank conversation, to speak directly to some issues that are going on in this world right around us, and to give ourselves some space to stop and think and to engage and even reflect on our own heart with where we are. And so I pray that you'd give us sensitivity and courage to be able to acknowledge that there are things that exist that we don't experience. Help us not to judge, help us not to jump political, but to suffer with the parts of our body that suffer under the hand of a loving Heavenly Father who has made us all. So I pray that you give us courage, wisdom, and direction in the relationships that we have right now. Help us to reach further, to understand better, to care deeper. And we will look forward to what you will do in the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.